Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 169. Today's episode is all about healing the mother wound. But as I was more present for my own inner child, I became the mother that I was looking for, from my mother to myself. I became that mother and I actually realized, wow, I'm a lot more equipped to be an awesome mother to myself than my mother is. You know, I don't have to look to her for this. And sometimes there's some grieving there that has to be done. A lot of grief around giving up the dream for the perfect mother-daughter relationship, you know, seeing your mother's faults and her flaws, but not making it personal, not taking it to mean anything about you or your worth. That's why I see healing the mother wound as part of initiating ourselves into our own lives. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends. First of all, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you're always updated about new episodes. Plus, you want to know basically the best way to give back to your favorite podcasts? actually go to the iTunes app and leave a five-star review. Reviews are scientifically proven to make me love you more. That's just how it is. I love you when you leave me a review. You sit in my heart for days at a time. No, but seriously, they really help the growth of the show. They're probably the number one thing that you can do besides supporting my sponsors or joining the membership. So it's an easy, free way to give back to a podcast you love. And if you do leave me a review, send it to me at mindlovemelissa on Instagram, and I'll send you a free meditation track. Today, I'm going to read a review from Elle Hanover. And if I recognize this correctly, your first name might be Lindsay. It says, this podcast could not have come at a better time. And I think there's a reason for it to come into my life now. This hands down has to be the best podcast. Not only does it actually drop major knowledge, but it really gives you tactical tips to help you improve all aspects of your life. I look forward to the new episodes and will constantly go back and re-listen to older ones. Thank you so much for creating this podcast. Well, thank you so much for writing this review. This is one of those that I'm going to like frame and hang on the wall. (laughs) So you are my favorite person this week. If you have a daughter or you are a daughter, you already know that mother-daughter relationships are complicated. Even if you have the best mommy in the world, you have likely had your fair share of tension. So why is it that mother-daughter relationships are so hard sometimes? When we're little, we look to our mothers as our futures. We follow them around, we play dress up, we put on their makeup. I specifically remember worrying as like a three-year-old that one day I was going to have to get married and not live with my mother anymore. The thought terrified me. I even asked her if she and I could just get married because that's normal, right? Like a lot of little girls, my mother was everything to me. Mother equaled life in like all the ways. But then as we grow up, at some point, mom becomes stressful. We don't want their advice anymore because what do they know? Everything they say just becomes so irrelevant. At least that's how it was for me. 
Don't get me wrong, I've always had a really close relationship with my mama. But I've also had my biggest fights with that woman as well. Well, besides a few toxic boyfriends, maybe. Actually, no, I think my mom still takes the cake there. I was in like third grade when I really started to think that I might be smarter than my mom. Yes, my eight-year-old thoughts were lofty, (laughs) mostly because she wasn't fresh up on what I was currently learning in school. And of course, I believed that I was cooler than her, which is hilarious because looking back at what I thought was cool at the time, yeah, no, she was definitely cooler than me. It just seemed like each year, though, we got further and further from relating to one another. This is something I only know from a daughter's perspective, so I can only imagine how much harder it is for the mothers out there, or for my mother. I have always taken my own path, and it's usually the hardest one, and probably the hardest to watch as well. Well, as your daughter starts really forming her own identity, she also seems to become less accessible. And to make matters even more complicated, a lot of moms and daughters feel shame that their relationship can be tough sometimes. It's funny because now that I'm having a baby, I went through a whole phase of wondering or wishing if I was having a boy or a girl. And at first, I'll admit I had my heart set on a girl because mother-daughter relationships are all I really know. It was hard to picture anything else. But when I found out I was having a boy, so many people were like, well, this will be much easier for you. (laughs) And I couldn't help but wonder why. A lot of people mentioned female hormones, and I'm having a baby at 35, so I'll probably be menopausal like right when my child hits the teen years. What a joy. The other thing I kept hearing was either moms and daughters having two different or two similar personality traits. Seems like either can be complicated. But I found an article from a mother-daughter relationship therapist named, I'm totally going to butcher this, Rajki Hasseldine. She said, I have never found hormones or personality traits to be the core reasons for mother-daughter relationship conflict. Rather, I have concluded that society sets mothers and daughters up for conflict. She says the mother-daughter relationship is not difficult to understand once we realize that moms and daughters do not relate in a cultural vacuum. In recognizing that mothers and daughters relate within sociocultural and multi-generational environment, the dynamics between them become easier to gap. We see how life events, restrictive gender roles, unrealized career goals, and the expectation that women should sacrifice their needs in their caregiving role all shape how mothers and daughters view themselves and each other and how they communicate. Boom. If you followed that, that one hit home for me. One of the things that I teach often is how other people's reactions, even directly to you, are never about you. They're about them. For example... When I decided I was going to make a living off a podcast and wherever that led me, so many people warned me about how impossible this was. And I had to recognize this isn't because they don't believe in me. They're actually coming from a good place, thinking that they're helping me avoid some big mistake. Their reactions are a reflection of the beliefs that are currently holding them back in their lives. So instead of feeling anger or hurt or resentment, I started to just feel compassion and did all the things I could to protect my own beliefs, which meant not asking people for advice that weren't currently going down the path I wanted to go down. Well, the same goes for our moms or for the moms out there. Moms have core beliefs about themselves and about the world, and those beliefs are going to leak out in their parenting. And for most people, this doesn't just stop when the daughter becomes an adult. We could only be so lucky. My mom still moms me. 
Yes, she's also my best friend most of the time, but she will also give me all the chores when I come home and correct my swearing. And heaven forbid I put the words holy and shit together in the same sentence, the blasphemy. But at some point, and the sooner the better, we need to stop blaming our moms for the things that we hold on to. Moms are just doing the best they can with what they know at the time. And unfortunately for some people, that might not mean a lot. Some of you can argue that your moms were absolutely terrible. But still, at some point, holding on to all that becomes your choice. And maybe your soul chose that mom because those struggles were exactly what you needed to evolve to your highest self. But whether you had the worst mother-daughter relationship or just the typical conflicts, we all have these mother wounds, some just deeper than others. So the question becomes, how do you let go? How do you heal? That's what we're talking about today. Our guest is Bethany Webster. In 2013, she published an article entitled, Why It's Crucial for Women to Heal the Mother Wound, based on work she'd been developing for 15 years. And overnight, the article went viral. Women around the world shared it on social media. They discussed it with their friends. It was even referenced in new blogs and podcasts. Well, before, thought leaders like Adrian Rich and Christine Northrup, who's also been on this podcast, had touched on the concept of a mother wound, but no one had really yet fleshed out exactly what the mother wound is and why it remains a universal experience of women all over the world. So Bethany made it her mission to really understand and define the mother wound and why and how it manifests. So three key things we will learn are what the mother wound is and what keeps it in place how to develop boundaries, even if we never enforced them before, and how to heal by learning to mother yourself. And as a side note, I'm recording this at like five in the morning right now, <laughs> and I have not done vocal warmups. So if my voice is a little bit cracky, <laughs> that is why. Oh, the turmoil of raspy voice life. But before we dive in, do you wish you could start each day with something deep and positive to think about that will just give you a better outlook for your entire day? Just sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational messages right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how the Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start their day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. It's kind of like your own personal inspiration oracle. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do, like a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a booklet of my personal power list to help you gain clarity and live each day with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Bethany Webster to the show. Thanks for having me, Melissa. It's great to be here today. So I'm really excited about this topic, but I'm curious, what's your story and how did you personally start to focus on this idea of a mother wound? Yeah, my personal story um, around this was you know, I thought I had a perfect family. Honestly, I thought I had a great family life. I was raised to be kind of a good girl. My family was tumultuous, but you know, 
I coped with it through, you know, being my mother's caretaker, kind of like focusing on the adults in my family and also trying to be a little adult. So I kind of grew up quickly and I had nothing to compare it to. So I just thought this was normal. So I, you know, was the first daughter. I have one sibling, one brother, and my parents had a tumultuous marriage. So I really just coped with it by being my mom's kind of therapist, counselor. And I was really rewarded for this, you know? So I felt like, you know, it gave me a sense of power, control, and a sense of calmness to be in that role. And it wasn't until I was around like in college, I would say my freshman year in college, I started to experience a lot of symptoms that were telling a different story. Like I thought I had a normal childhood. I thought everything was fine, but I was feeling deeply depressed and I was having anxiety attacks, panic attacks, dissociation. A lot of symptoms started to emerge as I left home and was living on my own. And I started to realize, oh my gosh, I need support. I need help. Um, I can't cope on my own here. So I sought out therapy. I remember I was 19 years old. I went to this food, you know, like a natural food store in the city where I was going to college. And there was this business card that had like the symbol of a goddess on it, which really attracted my eye. And so I called and started therapy and I was lucky enough to find a, you know, a feminist therapist doing depth psychotherapy. And I actually been with this therapist for 23 years. And that's kind of how depth psychotherapy works is it's a long-term process that is really about reshaping the emotional landscape of your your attachment wound. So I, but in those initial years, when I first started, I was terrified. I didn't want to look at my relationship with my mother. I didn't want to talk about it. I mean, I was just really against it because it felt so scary. Like that story I was telling myself that I was my mother's best friend and everything was fine. I didn't want to go behind the veil of that. So I just focused on things like my relationship with food, which was a problem. And also my romantic relationships were really rough. And there was a lot of other things to focus on. But it wasn't until, I mean, a few years in where I realized, oh, I get it. You know, every area of my life is actually showing these themes that trace back, every single one kind of traced back to the dynamics of my relationship with my mother. And those things were, you know, beliefs like there's something wrong with me. You know, if somebody gets close to me, they're going to see how awful I am. You know, just this vague sense of being deeply flawed. And so that was fueling, you know, my body image issues. It was fueling attracting, you know, romantic relationships in which I played that role of healer, mentor, there was just a lot of core wounds that were, you know, driving a lot of the problems in my life. And so it took me years to figure out that it really was all shaped by this early dynamic that was set up with my mom. So eventually I, I realized I'm like, I have to look at this because if I don't, I'm just postponing, you know, the kind of life that I want. So I, I really, you know, I had to work through a lot of denial, but I saw the importance of it and eventually started working in therapy on this. And as I did, I uncovered all kinds of painful, you know, truths about how I had been suffering, the magnitude of what, you know, the impact had been on me. And it was a long-term process. And it wasn't until many years later that I started to actually experience really dramatic changes in my life. And I, as I was experiencing these changes, you know, for the first time, I felt like I landed in my body. The, for the first time, I felt like I 
had a right to be here, you know, on the planet. And I started feeling connected with life on earth. Like I actually had some spiritual, deep spiritual experiences feeling like I'm deeply connected. Like I, with all life, kind of a transpersonal connection as well. So, and I was looking around me and I realized, you know, no one's really talking about this. You know, everything started to come together for me as I deeply worked on this. And I was like looking around at the personal development world, you know, psychology and self-help and self-development. And I saw that this was the missing piece. You know, no one's talking about our relationship with our mothers. It's a real taboo. And I became so passionate because I was like, this is the missing link. And I avoided it for so long. And I know so many other women are avoiding looking at this taboo topic, right? It's like we're surrounded by these messages that if you have any sort of ambivalence or negative feelings towards your mother, then there must be something wrong with you, you know? And and that's really the message is, you know, mothers are all good. They're always loving and helpful and there's not a dark side, you know? And my healing and transformation be- came from looking into this, these dark places, these broken places. And I began to see how our attachment blueprint really shapes so much about us. And one of the things that keeps us away from it is this feeling of mother blame. You know, like if you look at what happened to you as a child, then you're automatically, by virtue of doing that, you're blaming your mother. And uh, that's really part of, I think, what keeps us away from, from doing the deep healing that is necessary. So we stay on the surface of life and we live in a culture that promotes that, that kind of promotes don't look in the past. That's just somehow staying stuck. This whole process for me really flipped right side up a lot of the myths and beliefs that I had about myself. And, um, you know, it is hard work to do this work. It's not for the faint hearted, but it's truly what must happen. So I became really passionate that I started a blog to tell my story and to help other women. I was really scared to do it, to be honest with you, because of this cultural thing of you're blaming mothers and you're a terrible person and how can you, you know, mothers are saddled with so many issues. So of course I felt like I didn't want to be part of that, but I also felt like this is the realm in which we must go if we want to change things, not only personally, but collectively because we live out the programs that shape us so such an early, you know, shape our brains, the ways that we see the world, the ways that we see one another. So I went forward and I did get quite a bit of hate mail, but I just kept going because I also was receiving hundreds of messages from women around the world saying, yes, yes, I'm feeling this too. Like I'm experiencing this too. Thank you so much. You know, your, your work is life changing, life saving. So I kept going and, and just for about two years, I wrote an article every two weeks and just was writing about what I had experienced, what I was learning through this process myself. And over time I created a course that actually walks people through the seven steps that I, the milestones that I went through. But that's, that's kind of the story. And just over time, I started to see that this, see it transform other women's lives as well. And I, I began to see that the mother wound, you know, that term has been kind of used, just flipped back and forth, you know, mentioned here and there in books, but no one had ever really fleshed out what it actually is and why it's so important. So that's really what I've attempted to do is to fill that crucial gap of our understanding on how mothers and daughters, how that dynamic between them, how that plays out in a patriarchal culture that says that women are less than, how we cope with that, and um, how that shapes women 
and thus the world. So it's been an amazing journey. I'm going to stop there and see if you have any questions because I can go deeper into many different areas. (laughs) Right. So what I find interesting is I am a self-reflector. I feel like just overcoming my own trauma and the things that I've been through, I'm so hyper aware of of different things and doesn't always make it, it doesn't necessarily make it easier to overcome or to get through. (laughs) Sometimes it's even harder because I'm like, oh, this is opening up a childhood wound right now, (laughs) whatever it is. And so Mm. I have a great relationship with my mother. I love her so much, but I also can identify things from our relationship growing up that have affected me in a way that it's become something I need to overcome or I need to work through. And so I'm curious though, do you feel like everyone has a mother wound that they need to work through? Or is this specifically for people that may have had more difficult relationships with their parents? And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. everyone has a mother wound that they need to work through? Or is this specifically for people that may have had more difficult relationships with their parents? Yeah, great question. I believe that everyone has this to some degree. It's on a spectrum. And the reason why I say that is because the mother wound is really a product of women living in a patriarchal culture. So it's this atmosphere that we live in that says women, you know, are less than men and how that has distorted how women see themselves, how men see women, how men see their feminine side and how it's kind of narrowed down women's experience of life and experience of themselves. And so even those of us who had a really positive, harmonious relationship with our mothers, we still have to contend with 
whatever cultural messages our mothers internalized to some degree, which it's impossible to be immune to, you know, things like we have to look a certain way, we have to act a certain way. Um, And usually these messages are all about, you know, we have to kind of like fragment ourselves to meet these ideals, these cultural and stereotypical ideals of what a good, quote unquote, good, desirable woman is, right? So our mothers had to contend with that And so inevitably they pass along some degree unconsciously, like a lot of the time our mothers are doing their best. They're trying to help us survive a world that doesn't value women as much as men. So our mothers could pass along messages like, you know, don't talk too loud, don't rock the boat, you know, don't appear selfish to other people. You know, those are messages that were trying to help us survive in this world but ultimately they require that we attenuate ourselves to some degree. It doesn't promote authenticity and full potential um, because that's not what's allowed. You know, that's not been the story for us as women in the world. We've had to attenuate. So even if the personal dynamic is healthy and really supportive to the child, to the female child, inevitably there's got to be some way where the mother passes along the message, you know, to help a a daughter cope with this patriarchal world. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And one of the things that I have noticed when I was really starting to first go on my entrepreneurship journey, Mm. I started to realize that I never had any powerful women in my family that showed me that this was possible. And so it wasn't just Mm. me understanding that, oh, entrepreneurship is possible because most people in my family had followed a very traditional path. But it was also like my mother, which I'm very grateful for, she was able to stop working when I was younger. And so uh, we had a mom at home uh, that was able to take care of me or make us dinners every night and bring me Mm. to my events. and, And I loved that. But on the other hand, it's the grass is always greener. And when I was reaching this point, I'm like, man, how cool would it have been to have a mom who like started a business or who could give me some guidance. And instead I'm finding my own way here. And one of the things Mm -hmm. that I have come to believe just in my kind of broader spiritual beliefs is I do believe that we chose the families that we came into. And so, whereas then that belief helps me in a way, whereas I could sit there and be like, well, it would have been so much cooler to be born into a family that had this, this, and this. Or what if I didn't have this given struggle that I didn't have any control over? But then now I look at it kind of how, what if that struggle is exactly what I needed to reach my next level or mm-hmm. to in order to find my true calling or my purpose here? I needed to overcome that struggle or to learn how to deal with it. And I'm just curious, what are your beliefs with the mother wounds? And how do you look back at that? Was that for your higher purpose? Do you feel like, do you believe that it was something that you kind of called in or that you needed to be where you are now? Or mm-hmm. if that if that question makes sense? Yeah, it does. And it, it, it's like, to me, it's a little more complex because, you know, there's many levels to it, right? Like, like a lot of times people kind of misinterpret in my experience, that message, like you chose your parents as a way to kind of bypass some of the difficulties. Like we chose it, so we should deal with it, you know, so it can be easily conflated for me. I, I think all children deserve to have that healthy, and I'm talking about trauma now. So it's, it's more like, for me, it was a traumatic experience. You know, um, I experienced my mother as abandoning, but also invasive, 
And so it's been a really long journey of like learning how to take up space without guilt and learning that there's not, you know, that I don't need to be hypervigilant for being invaded. Like in my family, I had to not exist in order to exist, which is a painful thing for a child to experience. So it's like learning to exist, learning to have needs, um, learning to have boundaries. These were all things that I had to learn. And those are valuable. Like, and I earned it, you know, it's been like hard earned knowledge and self-wisdom. I think ultimately we're all connected. Like you said, on this spiritual plane, I feel like as humanity, we share a kind of a human destiny in a way. And we all get our share of lack of something, right. Or too much of something. So whatever pain we experienced and whatever pain we work through, like, like you were saying, I think it becomes this kind of gold that we can offer to the world in some way. Cause it's like through that journey of metabolizing whatever pain we went through, we gain more consciousness, right? We gain the capacities that we missed getting. Like I like to say, and part of healing is we have to embody the very things we never received. Mm -hmm. And, and through doing that, it, it actually becomes a blessing in not having it through learning to cultivate those capacities in ourselves. And then we show up so differently, right? We become like self-created, self-individuated people that can then like embody that for other people in powerful ways, you know, like similarly to like, for me, I'm not a mom, but through doing the deep work that I've been doing, I've been able to help other women mother their inner children and thus break generational trauma in many families. So it's like whatever inner work we do, it benefits the whole. And so I think I really agree with you on this, that, you know, as we do the work as adults, it can have an incredible impact on the world and, and to really commit to one's healing consciously, which is for many of us who've experienced severe trauma, it's a long and harrowing journey and it's worth it, you know, and it's worth it. I like to be really honest with people and transparent that healing intergenerational trauma is like the hardest thing. <laughs> and it's also the greatest legacy that you could ever have. You know, there's a lot of cultural messages that we shouldn't deal with it. We should put it away. You know, especially older generations of people, you know, they mothered their kids like, you know, the physical taking care of them, like shelter, food and clothing was sufficient. Emotional nurturing wasn't part of the picture. I don't think it was until like the fifties that people started actually talking about the emotional well-being of children. That really wasn't part of the parenting ethos at that time. So a lot of people don't have the, you know, there's a lot of emotional development that they didn't get, which is amazing. Like I truly believe I'm so happy to be alive right now when more than ever humanity is becoming conscious of intergenerational trauma and the importance of it, how it shapes our world, like, and, you know, getting, there's more tools than ever as well. So I think as a whole, just looking at our purpose and our mission, I believe that all of us have some degree of a mother wound, a generational wound that is our responsibility to commit to healing. And I, I would love to see, you know, in my work, one of my goals is to, you know, help to create a culture of self-responsibility where we become more reflective. Like, I love that you said, you know, I'm a really a self-reflective person. I'm really aware. And I think that that isn't the norm yet. There's not enough safety yet or not enough of us quite yet to, to make that like more of the norm. I think more of the norm now is to kind of numb out because we have a lot of 
we have the internet now and a lot of other things. Yeah, I think it's a really cool lens to look at it that we, we each have a piece of the puzzle to heal. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash MindLove. Right. And when I look through my family, it's it's very clear how I believe it's it's a, a sign of our species evolving where my grandma is not good at talking about feelings. I remember yeah. being a young girl and my mom, I don't know if she blatantly told me, I believe she did, but it was really important to her to express her love to me because she didn't feel that she got that mm. verbally or really even even um, physically with her parents. And I will yeah. say my grandparents are also 
awesome. And I think they've evolved even a little bit the way they deal with their grandchildren. But I remember being like Mm. five or six years old and just making sure I told my grandma, I love you, nanny, as we call her. And she would, you could see the awkwardness of her saying it back. And now she's a lot better at saying it back. But she told me around my wedding that uh, she basically said that I'm so good at expressing my feelings and how she's trying to get better at that. And then I look at my mom and my mom's really great at, well, she's pretty good at feelings. (laughs) She's better than, definitely better than her mom at feelings. She's, she's willing to express it. And she wants to talk to people about her feelings. Like when she has an issue with her family, she's like, let's sit around and talk about this and and whatever. And what I find that now I've evolved into is it's my strong belief that if my happiness or my well-being or my peace requires somebody else to change, then I'm doing it wrong. Yes, I can wish that they'd be different, mm-hmm. but like, how do I find that calm or that peace amidst it? And doing that, yeah. first of all, puts the power back in my hands instead of placing the power over my life in somebody else's hands. And mm-hmm. I find that when I'm able to actually make that shift consciously, a lot of times it either inspires the other person to soften or it attracts other people that kind of fill that need. Or I start to see how I can give that same, whatever I'm needing right then, as you were saying before, like, how do you mother your own inner child? It's like, well, what am mm-hmm. I needing right now? And do I really need it from this person? Or can I somehow give that to myself? Am I ne- needing to be told something or validated in some way? And how can I find that just with me and my mm-hmm. actions and my life? And so that's kind of how I've evolved into it. And I've been able mm-hmm. to share different things with my mother that has had an impact on her. And I've found, too, that now that I'm carrying a child, there's blind spots that I've even been able to identify in these last few months of being pregnant because suddenly I'm aware it's not just about creating a happy life for myself. I don't want to pass down even more wounds to my child. It is like breaking those intergenerational, the ancestral wounds. And I want to try to be as whole as possible for Mm. when I'm bringing another child into this world. And I know there's still going to be issues. (laughs) It's like nothing's going to be perfect, but at least I can do what I can now. Yeah, absolutely, Melissa. I totally hear you. And I think I'm so glad you brought that up because I think it's a really powerful piece like to do the work of, and I work with a lot of moms around this very thing. And a lot of times it comes down to like, you know, as mothers, the message is you need to be perfect, right? You need to be like, meet your child's every need. And you also have to have like a great marriage. And, you know, like the, the expectations are just enormous and impossibly, you know, superhuman. Um, and women that I work with are so relieved because part of what we talk about is it's not about being perfect. And I don't believe that kids need perfect moms, honestly. I, I don't I don't think actually that would help kids. I think kids need moms who are human, who are deeply human and who are on their own journey of, you know, you know that involves making mistakes and they just, you know, they keep going, right? So it's like, there's no way to not pass along something, but part of that is embracing those moments when maybe there is a rupture, you know, um, and the repair that comes with the rupture actually helps build the bond. So basically what I'm saying in short is that even in a, you know, in a healthy mother child relationship, there's always going to be misattunement in some moments, but actually in that misattunement, the bond can be strengthened when 
the repair is done like with a mom who isn't trying to be perfect so much, but trying to be herself. Like, I don't know if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense because I can see how it would be way more beneficial to me as a child to see my mom make mistakes and then also see her consciously deal with them. Even Mm. if she doesn't deal with them in the right way, like watching that process and showing me that failure is okay, that this is how you deal with these struggles. This is how you then identify a mistake and move forward versus a mother who did somehow miraculously do everything perfect because we humans are not perfect. And so to see that is just even more pressure of how do I live up to that? I can't live up to that. I feel like a failure. And so the process of struggle, I think, is so much more valuable. Exactly. Exactly. Because part of the journey, right, is like learning how to be imperfect and, and to love yourself at the same time. And I think in our culture, there's this like myth of perfection that we're, you know, we're sold that in order to be lovable, in order to be approved of, we need to somehow be perfect. And that's really an echo of, you know, when we were children, our sense of our sense of literal survival came from pleasing our parents. It came from external approval. There was, you know, that's the only time in our lives where, in which like to please is to survive, right? We needed our parents because developmentally, that's how we develop a sense of self, right? It's through like positive mirroring and, you know, the mother or, you know, adults responding to us as kids with lots of unconditional positive regard, right? That's how we build a sense of stable self. So when we had gaps in that, as adults, we can still project what I call the mother gap onto other people. Like whatever we missed in terms of those needs, we can kind of have this demand or, you know, to try to get it, to try to be a certain way to get that love. And so I think, you know, part of this overarching goal of healing intergenerational wounds is really feeling that your sense of your full humanity, you know, that you get to be imperfect, you get to make mistakes and you get to still be fully worthy and lovable and good to the very core. And so part of the inner mothering work I teach is about how to do just that. How do we cultivate that sense of inner safety? You know, like you said, no matter what happens out in the external world, I can find a sanctuary of love and peace within myself. And for many of us, myself included, I in my journey, I went the spiritual route for a long time, like bypassing the trauma that I went through and just trying to get there through like spiritual growth and meditation and, you know, surrender. And I I realized that, you know, one of the most empowering things I've realized is that it's how spiritual development and attachment wounds coincide. You know, for a long time, I thought I'm on a spiritual path and I'm in therapy and they're two different paths. But over time, they actually merged into one path in the sense that as we heal that child inside of us, as we become that source of love, unconditional love to ourselves, and we have people around us that support that, we can be more open, right? We can be more open to life. We can be more playful, more creative, and we can feel that inherent connection with all life, which includes, you know, a higher divine power. So for me, the spiritual path is totally connected to healing attachment wounds because the more we're wounded, the more separate and disconnected we feel and the more our nervous systems are on high alert. So it's, it's really powerful. It really works on all these different levels, you know, the personal, the cultural, then the spiritual. 
level as well. I'm so glad you brought that up. I actually just posted on Mind Love Podcast's Instagram yesterday that the biggest oversight we make in our spiritual journeys is to bypass the human experience. And I did Mm. the same thing that you did where there are a lot of teachings that are just like, well, you know, manifest this or just focus on this other realm and and I will say I find that helpful sometimes and there's right. there are times that it helps me to just be in that place. However, that is not how I heal. If I'm ignoring yeah. my wounds or the things that I've created and I'm never addressing those, they stay stuck and they will manifest in oh another way. Like one example is I was really struggling with self-love and my relationship with my body after a sexual assault. And I thought I could just ignore it. And I was really proud of myself for doing so. And I would say, oh, that never affected me. But it manifested into an eating disorder and into all these bad decisions where I, looking back, it's so clear that I just wasn't valuing myself or my body. And so Mm -hmm. ignoring it, it was going to find its way out. And so either in a way that I have less control over or in a way where I'm consciously addressing it, choosing to feel learning how to process those emotions and use them as guidance. So I'm glad that you brought that up. But I one question I have is because we all have these wounds to a certain degree and it's a spectrum, how do we know when it's time to make a change or when there's something that needs to be addressed versus kind of just the natural process of life and, and being in a mother-daughter relationship? Yeah, yeah. Good question. I would say one of the biggest things that is a sign is when you notice certain dynamics replicating themselves over and over again. You know, maybe you choose a certain kind of partner, or maybe you find yourself in the similar career situation, like similar office dynamics, or when you start seeing yourself cycling through repeating patterns, it's a sign that this pattern is unconsciously running based on your early programming. Right. And so part of what lightens me up is like help, like helping people make that link. You know, what are the repeating patterns that are showing up for you? And what are the feelings, right? What are those feelings that keep coming up, you know, over and over again that are painful? And where do you, the earliest time you remember feeling that feeling as a child? Like if you sink into that feeling and you think back, what comes up? Like, can you remember feeling that? And it, sometimes it takes a while, but sometimes people are like, Ooh, yeah, I do remember that. Or there's always clues in our daily life about pointing to the original trauma or the original rupture that happened. Right. And so it's kind of like, a jigsaw puzzle, you know, finding the clues and the pieces that link it back and then seeing what the inner child, you know, cause I like to talk about the inner child is like, she's like the gatekeeper of our upper limits. Right. And it, she keeps us in an in- invisible fence. Right. So the inner child is like a part of us that's still kind of trapped at that developmental level where we didn't get our needs met or something happened. Right. So she's still stuck in that place. So And another way of thinking about it actually is like the amygdala, which where is a lot of our like nervous system fight, flight, freeze stuff resides. And so the inner mothering work is really about kind of bringing in our prefrontal cortex, that more developed part of our brain to that level, and then working with it, building more neuroplasticity and connections in our brain by going back to that original ground, that original place where that happened. And then, you know, validating those feelings for a lot of us we didn't get enough emotional reassurance as children, you know, because our parents 
had been socialized to not value emotions. Most of our parents just culturally, that's just how the world we've lived in. So we have to give ourselves lots of reassurance, lots of care. I always tell people when you feel yourself in a trigger moment, you just want to always start with empathy, always start with, you know, soothing yourself. And then when you feel soothed, you can go to like differentiating, like, okay, this is something that happened to me back then. And I can see it's impacting me now. You know, what is the truth right now about this? You know, and you can start to bring more cognitive work into it as well. But basically, yeah, it's getting out of that invisible fence of repeating cycles and repeating situations is going back to childhood and not a lot of people say, oh, that's just wallowing or, you know, get out of the past, live in the future. But the truth is we live from these, you know, whatever level of development we were stunted at is where we stay in these cycles. So it's really, we kind of regress to progress we have to go back to go forward. And I like to reframe that for people so that they can feel less shame about looking at these signs. Like I need to, to look deeper at what's going on in my life. I think that's a really exciting time. When we start to see the signs, it's about like getting that support so that you can do the deeper work that you can fully move forward. Right. And what I found too is a lot of people doubt themselves when they're looking back for that original wound, myself included, because they expect it to be some big trauma, like they were abused by their parents or something like that. And they're like, well, I don't have something like that. But it can be as simple as one time when you tried on an outfit and your mother said, oh, I don't think you should wear that. You know what I mean? And you internalized it as like, oh my gosh, my body isn't beautiful or whatever it is. It can be something small. And a lot of times that first thing that you think of, however minor that you're trying to logic yourself through it in the present moment that it feels is still usually the thing. That's the first thing that came up and just trust that. And I like to ask myself, well, what did I need to hear at that moment? And then that'll be my mantra for my next meditation, or that'll be what I start to say to myself when I'm trying on clothes, use it going back to that same example or whatever, whatever it might be. And over time, I realized I didn't necessarily need to hear her voice say it. I I needed to hear anything say that. I just need a new voice in my head because now Mm -hmm. she's not saying it anymore. And I want to clarify, my mom never did that to me, but it was just an example that came up. But it's like that voice happened one time and we carry it through into our present and our future. Whereas we now have that ability to start to redirect that or start to overpower that or or use our own voice to create a new thought that comes to mind when we are changing our clothes or when we're doing that thing. So the more that we use that repetition and we we bring that into the present moment, the more we start to actually feel it in the present moment and we stop carrying around that old baggage from the past because it's over, you know? Yeah, I would add to that as well that it's important, you know, for any kind of repeating pattern, the cognitive piece is important to, you know, know what happened, how it impacted you, but there almost always has to be some kind of emotional release, right? In order for a pattern to dissolve. And, and if I was talking to someone in that position about like that situation of, you know, having your mother say that to you, I would just also bring in that empathy, like, oh man, that must've hurt so bad. You know, that must've felt like right to the heart. Like you're so vulnerable, you're, you know, you're a teen, you're wearing a new outfit and to not get enough tenderness and care in that moment, it must've just felt 
so just heartbreaking. Um, so I think bringing in like the empathy for the way you were dropped, however that manifested, is part of what allows the inner child to let go of those those moments, those memories, is, is to bring in lots of empathy. And there's usually some kind of grief. You know, once we bring ourselves empathy, then it's easier to release, you know, the grief that's kind of trapped away in there. Because it's like, we're, our brains are not developed, you know, they're, they're not as fully developed when we're young kids. So like you said, little things can have a big impact. And our system is really set up for survival, right? So as children that are developing, we're take, we're scanning the environment and we're learning so much about like, how do I survive? How do, you know, our brains are computing things on a very deep level. So, and our systems prefer the familiar. So it's like the system says, well, I know I can survive that. So I'm not going to, I don't want to change it. I just want to, you know, just stay with this and just hold on. And so, like you said, we can bring in that more adult cognition now to say, actually, you know what, we don't have to live by that anymore. And then start taking action based on that new belief. And, and over time we, we actually have to, it's almost like we have to debunk that old algorithm. I, I call it a safety algorithm, right? We have algorithms in our systems that say, this is how I stay safe. But those algorithms need to be updated in order to be our full power, in our full power, in our full potential. So we need lots of disrupting experiences that kind of say the opposite, right? And that's part of the fun is, you know, bringing in the cognition, but also bringing in that self-empathy and then having experiences that demonstrate that that old algorithm, that old belief isn't true anymore. And that is so exciting when we can start to literally feel in our bodies like a cellular shift, right? I'm sure all of you listening can have had moments like that that might have just happened where, you know, I think of one person who was in my workshop years ago. She immediately comes to mind. I remember her saying she had this moment when she went to go see a doctor and it was the first time she had seen a female doctor. And this doctor was so attuned, was so attentive. She was a deep listener. And she said, after this doctor's appointment, I went into my car and cried because I had never been so lovingly treated by another woman. And it just, it brought up all this grief about the pain of painful experiences I had, including with my mother that were unsafe, that were not healthy or not, not loving. And it, it kind of disrupted that old algorithm. That, and it said something new is possible. And she felt that cellular transformation. So it's even more powerful. I think when we can proactively live in a way that we see, you know, what's happening with me, what are the repeating patterns? And then we we mother that kid in us that really needs that love and encouragement. And then we can actually go after more experiences that are different at that show. Wow. The show our nervous system. I'm safe. I'm lovable. Even though I'm imperfect, even though I went through that, I'm safe and I'm lovable in this moment. Well, I find that all that makes so much sense, but there are a lot of people who still have difficult relationships with their mother. And I can see how they might be trying to do this healing work but then they have an interaction with their mother, they have a holiday, they have whatever, and it triggers it right back up. And, and you know, yeah. when you're, especially when a trigger happens, when you're not fully healed yet, it can send you all the way back to where you started. And so I'm curious, I know that boundaries are such a big part of just, I think, evolving into your own human when you're becoming an adult. And totally, but it can be really difficult because even for me now, my mother treats me differently than she treats anybody else because she's my mom. 
example, I was literally reading her a text message this morning. My mom is religious. She's Christian and I have found my own way to a broader spirituality. And so that's one of our hot points sometimes Mm. is because she still wants me. She believes at a core level that if you're not following that path, that that means you're going to hell. I mean, that's what your religion says. And so I think she's holding these two spaces like, no way is my daughter going to hell. Look at all the good she's doing. But but my religion says this. And so just like little things she gets on me for. And I was reading her a text message and I was like, and then he responded, holy shit. And she's like, don't say that. I'm like, yeah, why don't you just not say it and stop trying to police (laughs) my words? You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm not five. And so that's such a minor example, but it can be anything from something small to a mom still verbally abusing you or whatever it is that your particular wound is. And so boundaries are already difficult to have. It took me till I was in my thirties to even have boundaries, but they're even more difficult when a relationship already exists with somebody that you've never enforced them before. So what are some of your tips for enforcing those boundaries or, or having that conversation with your mother to kind of, I, seal in your own identity, if that makes sense. Absolutely. That's a massive question. I could talk about it for hours and hours, (laughs) but I'll try to boil it down. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I find that the boundary question with mothers, I think in the most difficult moments, it's that with our mothers, our mothers either still treat us like little girls, or we start to feel like little girls with our mothers and triggers can be that point where we can regress really quickly. So it's like, it's kind of a multifaceted process in my mind you know, part of that is I talk about the impossible dream because this can also drive some of these behaviors and dynamics. And, and the impossible dream is hoping for this like fairy tale relationship with your mother. Like if I just show up a certain way or if I just, you know, do X, Y, Z, finally she's going to get it. Or if she just like gets on a healing path, for example, or does something that then we're going to have like this great relationship. And I myself was on that path for a long time. Like if I just explain it to her better, then maybe, you know, she'll get it. Or um, so, it's like this childlike hope for this amazing mother-daughter love. And I think all of us long for that. You know, it's it's like a normal, healthy human thing to like long for this connection that we didn't have, that we still want. Um, and so part of individuating is to learn how to, yeah, see the relationship for what it is without the rose-colored tinted glasses of the impossible dream, but to really see, you know, that this can't be, you know, a lot of us, you know, our mothers are on their own journeys. They have their own choices. They're on their own path. They're separate people and our, we can't control our mothers. We can't control how they see us. And as women, it's like we learning to take up the space to be the authority of our own lives, to say, I'm the authority of what's right and best for me, no one else. And that's scary for a lot of people, especially women who were taught that, we are good and lovable when we acquiesce to everyone around us, right? So over time, we this is like this tension that it's like we can't be, we have to update that. You know, we get to be human, we get to be separate, but we also get to be loved. We get to be respected in our separateness, meaning separate opinions, separate preferences. So with our mothers, it just becomes even more amplified, right? So in the work that I do, I actually help women create a bond with their inner child so that they become the primary attachment figure for their inner child, not the mother, right? Because I think what happens is the little girl inside of us is still bonded with our mother as the primary person who tells us we're safe, we're good, you know? And there's a whole process involved in like releasing that off of our mothers and putting it in within ourselves and saying, actually, I'm the most safe person for me, 
I'm the one that's the authority of what's right and best for me. And I find that as we do that inner work, we actually, there's a spaciousness that shows up in the mother-daughter relationship where we can allow our mothers to have their beliefs and worldview that's very different from us without needing to fix it, change it. You know, I know I was on that train for a long time of like trying to get her to like be on a healing path or check out this article or, you know, and it's just, it's a lot of work. It's exhausting. But as I was more present for my own inner child, I became the mother that I was looking for, from my mother to myself. I became that mother and I actually realized wow, I'm a lot more equipped to be an awesome mother to myself than my mother is. You know, I don't have to look to her for this. And sometimes there's some grieving there that has to be done. A lot of grief around giving up the dream for the perfect mother-daughter relationship, you know, seeing your mother's faults and her flaws, but not making it personal, not taking it to mean anything about you or your worth. You know, this is part of, that's why I see healing the mother wound as part of initiating ourselves into our own lives. And in a patriarchal culture, there's not a lot of that. Women are ten, you know, kind of encouraged to be enmeshed with each other. You know, there's not a lot of models for like, how do we be, you know, separate individuals among women? There's, you know, there's, there's tons of tropes and stereotypes about how women are really catty with each other or jealous or competitive, right? And that just speaks to that fact that, you know, we need to have a healthy individuation process So one of the most empowering things we can do, if we can learn to set boundaries with our moms without taking it personally, without going into guilt, we become like, yeah, we become sovereign, right? We become sovereign. We become separate. And our worth is no longer contingent on our mothers feeling a certain way, seeing us a certain way. I mean, that's empowering is if you can endure your mother's rejection of you or her lack of seeing you accurately, and be okay with that. Like that's, that's powerful because if you can do that in the context of your relationship with your mother, you can do it with anyone. And that's when you're really liberated, right? Well, thank you so much for everything that you've shared. I know even for me who I've, I have always felt blessed with my relationship with my mother. It's also my most difficult relationship. <laughs> it's just so yeah. funny because I love her so much. Like people are envious of our relationship and, and then like something will hit and I'm like, oh, this again. So thank you for sharing all of your wisdom around this topic. And for listeners that are interested in going deeper and finding your book and perhaps working with you, where's the best place they can connect with you online? Yeah, please come to my website. It's just bethanywebster.com. And there you can find information about my book, my online course, and you know I have a free community. So there's a lot of stuff to check out and also a ton of free articles. My blog has um, a lot of articles that offer a ton of support and guidance. And I think that's a great place to start, bethanywebster.com. All the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 169. So this week, your challenge is going to be to analyze your relationship with your mother. Take notice of where you're holding her accountable for who you are now. Remember, you have your own identity now. All the things you've gone through with your mother have been experiences that have shaped you, but you get to choose how they continue to shape you. So you can either hold on to the bad parts or hold on to the things that caused a struggle for you and keep saying, this is where I am because you made me this way. Or you can say, this is what I've gone through and this is what I'm going to do with it. All struggles create strength if we let it, but it doesn't happen automatically. And that phrase that time heals all wounds 
isn't true. It's what you do with that time. Time makes things easier to compartmentalize or to stuff deep down inside us. That doesn't mean it's not still affecting us. And if we are giving power to our mothers for making us something that we don't want to consciously be, then we're taking power away from ourselves. Power is just where we place our focus and what beliefs we choose to attach to that focus. So maybe you journal, maybe you meditate on it, maybe you have a deep conversation with your mom, whatever feels right for you. But now is the time to start releasing those wounds so you can step into who you are truly meant to be. If you love this episode, maybe consider sharing it with your mother. Tap the little share button and send this episode directly or take a screenshot and send it on Instagram. Don't forget to tag Mind Love Melissa. I'm going to be sending this episode to my mommy as well. I should probably go back and re-listen to it to make sure I didn't <laughs> divulge any of our secrets. Who am I kidding? After 169 public episodes and even more episodes for premium members, I don't have secrets anymore. <laughs> Anyways... Speaking of premium, you can get twice the episodes if you go to mindlove.com slash premium. Not only do you get twice the episodes, you also get meditations and some other bonuses. Plus, it's a really amazing way to directly support the show that you love. Other ways you can support this show are by purchasing from our sponsors and using the codes that are given in the episodes. That really helps too. The more people purchase through those codes, the more likely they are to sponsor me again. I hope you all had an amazing Valentine's Day and treated yourself a little bit. Show yourself some self-love. And as always, thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into Your Higher Frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 